0: KPFA.org. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online. At kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy ending. Divide up those in darkness Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is December the 27th, 2016. Pretty soon, 2017. Oh, yes. When, when will you stop tormenting me with your time? Ah, that's Samuel Beckett. Yes, Samuel Beckett. I'm looking in my notes, and I'm seeing that the first time I tackled the works of Samuel Beckett, (laughs) it was a long time ago. Let's see, back in the 80s, yes, back in the 80s. Uh, I think today that I will just read you some of my favorite Beckett. I, I think that the time between Christmas and New Year's is a time, you know, for summing up, for reckoning. <laughs> yes. Like Beckett would say, I want to, you know, add it all up, make the tote, uh before it's all over, but never mind all that. Uh the late great Samuel Beckett, yes, born on Good Friday, died on Christmas. He was born in Dublin early in the 20th century, spent his life in Paris, wrote in French, and then translated his own work into English. His play, Waiting for Godot, brought him international fame. In an age when more and more writers are willing to write just what the world or society uh, wants to read... Beckett stands very much alone in the desert of revolt. Uh, Pretty revolting. (laughs) With each phrase, he gnaws once more on the existential bone. He's the final Irishman, Beckett wrote. An Irishman's brain is only his imagination. (laughs) Words to live by, yes. Anyway... Uh, there was a television production many years ago done by Jack McGowan. That's M-C-G-O-W-A-M. It's a character actor you would recognize if you saw him on screen. Uh, he did a collage of Beckett's works, and I like the the pieces that he put together. Uh, they seem to complement each other, but, you know, mostly they're just... Beckett Ease, it's an internal monologue, yes. It's about the tenderness of memory and the searing, searing thoughts, the grim walk through space and time. Leading, of course, to death and the souls cease, he writes. We have time to grow old. The air is full of our cries, but habit is a great deadener. At me, too, someone is looking. Of me, too, someone is saying. He is sleeping. He knows nothing. Let him sleep on. Many years ago, Eric Barsfeld suggested that uh, I read, uh, oh, maybe Happy Days, one of the few plays that Beckett wrote for a woman and... I said, well, why not the others? And he said, oh, well, that's a, a man suffering in a man's world. <laughs> I said, Eric, it's about death. He just kept on looking at me. I guess it's perhaps this true. Women uh, don't worry about death or don't know about death. Who knows? Uh, Samuel Beckett was a existential magician, an Irish nihilist. I came across a long review in the New York Review of Books. Let's see. It's about a fifty dollar collection of Beckett's letters and I'm I'm arguing with myself about whether or not I should buy it. Uh it's the, the reviewer points out that it doesn't have too much detail. Uh we know that the big stuff well Samuel Beckett uh, worked with the French resistance during World War Two. He doesn't mention that in his letters. There's very little about his uh, love affair with the daughter of James Joyce. She uh, went mad, wound up in the bug house. Yes, aha. Uh-huh. Those whom God would destroy, they first sent to the bug house. That is what I read here in uh, Ezra Pound. Yes, Ezra Pound was also... Uh, Well, all those stories, those stories about the relationships between writers, they're fun, but they are basically just gossip. What I like about Beckett is his, what is it, his, not parallel, but his comparison, say, with Gertrude Stein, another woman who was an English speaker raised in English, who went to Paris, and uh, uh, she seemed to think, well, some of, her writing indicates that she doesn't think there's very much difference between English and French, but I, I I just think that Paris has a special a special soil, and when English speakers go there, something in their uh unconscious conscious changes uh Paris puts his hand on the heart of uh, the English words there, uh, yes, right, put the hand on the heart. When it breaks, the words will fall through. Beckett wrote, or no worse, saying to myself, no worse, you're no worse, and was worse. <laughs> in any case, in any case, the piece that I want to read today is. Um, The piece that Jack McGowan put together, bits and pieces of it. Uh, I once had it on a a long tape. Someone stole my little tape recorder. I remember putting signs in my window saying, You can keep the machine, but please give me back Jack's tape. Never mind. Uh, I'll start here with two short little four-line poems that I keep in my my wallet ever since I was a college girl right Samuel Beckett writes again the last ebb the dead shingle the turning then the steps toward the lighted town here's another four lines that I I keep with me for some reason Ah. I would like my love to die, and the rain to be falling on the graveyard, and on me walking the streets, mourning the first and last to love me. <laughs> yes, Beckett says, in the light, the light, the light of the labour's loss. I always think of Beckett when it's time to go dust the graves at the end of the year. You know, visit all my dead dears. I think that uh, people my age uh, really have to try to stop that kind of, what is it, uh, hand wringing and cheer up. Yes, we're too old to be anything but optimists. Uh, I'll start, yes, with Jack's collection. Uh, It's from Malone Dies. This is Jack McGowan's selections. And when he got them all together, he titled them Beginning to End, which, of course, has all kinds of meaning. Samuel Beckett was, what is that? A wordsmith. Anyway, Samuel Beckett writes, I shall soon be quite dead at last in spite of all. Perhaps next month, then it will be the month of April, or of May, for the year, year is still young, a thousand little signs tell me so, though perhaps I am wrong, perhaps I shall survive, St. John the Baptist Day, even the 14th of July, Uh, 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 festival of... Freedom, indeed, I would not put it past me to pant on to the transfiguration, not to speak of the assumption, but I do not think so. I do not think I am wrong in saying that these rejoicings will take place in my absence this year. I have that feeling. I've had it now for some days, and I credit it. I could die today, if I wished, merely by making a little effort. But it's just as well to let myself die quietly, without rushing things. Of course, I still have my little fits of impatience from time to time. I must be on my guard against them uh, for the next fortnight or three weeks. Without exaggeration, to be sure, quietly crying and laughing, without working myself up into a state, yeah. I shall be natural at last. I shall suffer more than less without drawing any conclusions. I shall pay less heed to myself. I shall be neither hot nor cold any more. I shall be tepid. I shall die tepid, without enthusiasm. I shall not watch myself die. That would spoil everything. Have I watched myself live? Have I ever complained? Then why rejoice now? I am content, necessarily, but not to the point of clapping my hands. I am satisfied. There I am repaid. I have enough. I need Nothing more. Let me say before I go any further that I forgive nobody. I wish them all an atrocious life, and in the fires and ice of hell, and in the inexorable generations to come, an honored name. (laughs) Enough, enough. For this evening. (laughs) I usedn't to need anyone. Just to myself, stories. There was a great one about an old fellow called Bolton. Bolton. I never finished it. I never finish any of them. I never finished anything. Everything always went on forever, stories, stories, years and years of stories, till the need came on me for someone to be with me, anyone a stranger, years of that and then now for someone who knew me in the old days a Stranger to be with me. Imagine he hears me, what I am now. (laughs) Father. Father. Oh, Father, you wouldn't know me now. You'd be sorry you ever had me. (laughs) I bet you were that already, a washout. That's the last I heard from you, a washout. Are you coming for a dip? No, no, come on, come on, no, no, glare, stomp to door, turn, glare, a washout, that's all you are, a washout. Again, again, slam life shut like that, washout, wish to Christ she had. "'My mother never refused to see me. "'That is, she never refused to receive me, "'for it was many a long day since she'd seen anything at all. "'I shall try and speak calmly. "'We were so old, she and I. "'She had had me so young "'that we were like a couple of old cronies, "'sexless, unrelated, "'with the same memories, the same rancors, "'the same expectations.' She never called me son. Fortunately, I couldn't have borne it. But Dan? I don't know why. My name is not Dan. Dan was my father's name, perhaps. Perhaps she took me for my father. I took her for my mother, and she took me for my father. Dan, do you remember the day I saved the swallow? Dan, do you remember the day you buried the ring? I remembered. I remembered. I mean, I knew more or less what she was talking about. And if I wasn't always involved personally in the scene she evoked, it was just as if I had. I called her Mag. Well, I had to call her something. I called her Mag- because for me, without my knowing why, the letter G abolished the syllable ma, and, as it were, spat on it, better than any other letter could have done. At the same time, I acknowledged a deep and doubtless unacknowledged need, (coughs) the need to have a ma, that is a mother, and to proclaim it audibly, for before you say mag, mag, you say ma, inevitably, and da, in my part of the world, means father. Uh, Ah, what the... Oh, besides, for me, the question did not arise at the period I am worming into now. I mean... The question as to whether to call her Meg, Ma, or the Countess Caca, she having for countless years been as deaf as a post. Oh, she knew it was me by my smell, <laughs> her shrunken. Harry, old face, lit up. She was happy to smell me. She jabbered away with her rattle and dentures. Most of the time didn't realize what she was saying. Anyone but myself would have been lost in this clattering gabble, which can only have stopped during her brief instances of unconsciousness. In any case, I didn't come to listen to her. I got into communication with her by knocking on her skull. One knock meant yes two, no, three, I don't know, four money. Five Goodbye. I was hard put to ram this code into her ruined and frantic understanding. <laughs> but I did it in the end. <laughs> that she should confuse, yes, no, I don't know, and goodbye, well, that was all the same to me, I confused them myself, but that she should associate the four knocks with anything but money was something to be avoided at all costs. During the period of training, therefore, at the same time as I administered the four knocks on the skull, I stuck a banknote under her nose or in her mouth, Ah, oh, in the innocence of my heart, for she seemed to have lost, if not absolutely all notion of mensuration, at least the faculty of counting beyond two. It was too far for her, yes. The ultimate, yes, the ultimate. The distance was too great, too great from one to four. By the time she came to the fourth knock, she imagined she was still at the second, the first two having been obliterated from her memory as completely as if they'd never been felt. She must have thought I was saying no to her all the time, whereas nothing was further from my purpose <laughs> Enlightened. Then by these considerations, I looked for and finally found a more effective way of putting the idea of money into her head. This consisted in replacing the four knocks of the index knuckle by one or more according to my needs, thumps of the fist on her skull, that she understood in any case. I didn't come for the money. I took her money. But I didn't come for that. My mother. Ah, oh, I don't think too harshly of her. The next section I'm going to read you <laughs> is from the unnamable. Once again, Jack McGowan's uh, collages. Yes. Ah, they also gave me the lowdown on God. They told me I depended on him in the last analysis. They had it on the reliable authority of his agents at Bally, I forget what, this being the place, according to them, where the inestimable gift of life had been rammed down my gullet. But what they were most determined for me to swallow was my fellow creatures. In this they were without mercy. I remember little or nothing of these lectures. I cannot have understood a great deal. But I seem to have retained certain descriptions in spite of myself. They gave me courses on love. On intelligence, oh, most precious, most precious. They also taught me to count, even to reason. Some of this rubbish has come in handy on occasions, I don't deny it, on occasions which would never have arisen if they had left me in peace. I use it still to scratch my arse with... Low types they must have been, their pockets full of poison and antidote. Perhaps all this instruction was by correspondence, yet I seem to know their faces from photographs, perhaps. When did all this nonsense stop, and has it stopped? A few last questions. Is it merely a lull? There were four or five of them at me. They called that presenting their report. One in particular, Basil, I think he was called, filled me with hatred. Without opening his mouth, fastening on me his eyes like cinders with all their seeing, he changed me a little more each time into what he wanted me to be. Is he still glaring at me from the shadows? Is he still usurping my name, the one they foisted on me, up there in their world? Ah, oh, season to season, patiently. Ah, no, no. Here I am, in safety now, amusing myself, wondering who can have dealt me these insignificant wounds. This last poem is my favorite, I think it was it was written or published. The date is nineteen thirty-six. I think published nineteen thirty six, Samuel Beckett's poem Cascando. Why not merely the despaired of occasion of word shed? Is it not better abort than be barren the hours? after you are gone, are so leaden. They will always start dragging too soon, the grapples clawing blindly the bed of want, bringing up the bones, the old loves, sockets filled once with eyes like yours. Oh, Always is it better too soon than never, the black wants splashing their faces, saying again, Nine days never floated the loved, nor nine months, nor nine lives. Saying again, if you do not teach me, I shall not learn saying again there is a last, even of last times, last times of begging, last times of loving, of knowing, not knowing, pretending. A last, even of last times of saying, if you do not love me, I shall not be loved. If I do not love you, I shall not love. The churn of stale words in the heart again, Love, 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 thud of the old plunger, pestling the unalterable way of words. Terrified again of not loving, Of loving and not you. Of being loved and not by you. Of knowing. Not knowing. Pretending. Pretending. I and all the others that will love you, if they love you, Unless they love you. That is a poem from 1936, written by Samuel Beckett. Let's see, I would have been three years old. (laughs) yes. Ah, dear me. Uh, This week, yes, this week we have Shakespeare on TV again. Tomorrow night, Wednesday night. the Hollow Crown. I like the first, the first part of that, the part with Richard the Second. but uh, it's continuing on PBS, The Hollow Crown. It's four of Shakespeare's plays. They're uh, wrapped up in three. I don't know, the cuts are interesting, but anyway, we've got Judy Dench, Jeremy Irons, uh, even uh, Patrick Stewart, of all things, uh, Duke of Gloucester, the list is so long here. Anyway, The Hollow Crown on PBS. That's what I want to do until New Year's. This has been Jennifer Stone reading at Samuel Beckett. Till next week at the same time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Drop the Sasha Lilly from Against the Grain. Your tax-deductible donation has helped KPFA get closer to reaching our goal and kept this year-end fund drive short. If you haven't donated yet, please help us close the gap at kpfa.org. If you've already donated, please follow through on your pledge to support the only independent media outlet for news, public affairs, and music. As the new year approaches, there will be trouble ahead, and you can count on KPFA to stay as vigilant as always. Thank you. Fear. Anxiety and confusion grips a lot of folks in today's dark post-election world. There is a lot of fake news, propaganda and misinformation emanating from phony media outlets. If you're searching for the truth, unfiltered news, in-depth public affairs programming, you can count on one independent radio station to do what it's been doing for